Section six of Flower Patch Among the Hills. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Flower Patch Among the Hills by Flora Clickman. Section six. The Geography of the Flower Patch. The first night at this cottage, you may lie awake if you are a stranger to these hills almost awed by the silence gradually you realize that the silence is not actual absence of sound in may and early june the nightingales trill in the trees around or you will hear the owls calling to one another in the woods a trifle weird if you do not know what it is at another time it is the corncrake or the wind brings you the bleating of lambs down in the valley as you listen longer you hear the tinkle tinkle of the little spring that tumbles out of a small spout into a ferny well outside the garden gate you take a final look out of the window to where miles away in the distance a lighthouse flashes at fixed intervals it seems strangely companionable even though it is so far off and then you close your eyes unconscious that you have fallen asleep only to open them again in a minute as you think someone is speaking you detect Ursula's voice in a stage whisper through the keyhole. I say, aren't you ever going to get up? You rub your eyes. It certainly is morning. And you such a poor sleeper, possibly one of those who never had a wink of sleep all night, and such horrid dreams. The plaintive voice continues at the keyhole. I planted out 937 wallflower seedlings yesterday, and I want to cover them up with fern before the sun gets too strong. If you'll get up, you can gather the bracken, while I creep around on all fours, covering them up. See, Virginia is busy thinning out the turnips, and she is never good at getting up early, you know. I regret to say this last scornful reference is to me. And now, when you look out of the little bedroom window again, to the accompaniment of an early cup of tea, what a change has taken place since yesterday. Last night, the ranges of opposite hills with the sun setting behind them, looked vague and mysterious with shadows. This morning the sun is full on them, but now there is another mystery, or so it seems to those who see it for the first time. Instead of looking down into the green tree-clad valley, to where the river winds along at the base of the steep hills, you now look down on to a bank of solid white, the mist that rises up at night and fills the lower part of the valley, reminding one of the mist that went up from the earth in the first garden and watered the whole face of the ground with the sun on it the mist gives back a dazzling light and then slowly slowly the whole white bank in the valley lifts silently and wonderfully up and up it goes in a solid mass and as the higher parts of the hills which were previously in sunshine are temporarily hidden by the uprising mass so the lower part of the valley gradually becomes visible first only a strip at the very bottom then more and more as the white curtain is raised finally the white mass disappears and joins its fellows in the sky above a fragment of cloud lingering sometimes a little below the summit of the highest hill if the day is going to be fine this last trail of silvery cloud disappears and then the sun lights up the woods and the upland meadows showing you distant cottages and far-off farmhouses where you saw nothing but tremulous shadows the night before. 
however often one looks upon this sight the marvel never lessens and the simple scientific explanation which every learned person who visits the cottage pours over the breakfast-table is quite unnecessary scientific explanations are admirable for cities but when we set foot on these hills it is just sufficient for us that nature is one drawback about this cottage is the fact that one's poetic thoughts and soulful dreams are constantly being interrupted by things material more especially those appertaining to food and even as you are gazing out of the window at the glorious scenery all around you there arises the odour of frizzling ham that originally ran about uncooked in a field lower down fried potatoes the good old-fashioned sort done in the frying-pan coffee and other hungry things and you find to your surprise that a substantial breakfast is on the table by eight o'clock though and this is where guests bless their hostess no one need get up to breakfast if they prefer to have it in bed for very tired people come here sometimes but it does not matter what nervous wrecks virginia and ursula may have landed at the door overnight the first morning sees them up with the lark and out gardening and one of the earliest sounds you hear is the clink of the brown pitcher on the stones as virginia sets it down after filling it at the little spring outside the garden gate this is a thirsty garden it is everywhere on the slope remember and is composed of the lightest soil imaginable with rock everywhere beneath as fast as you put water on it it runs away downhill hence a moment's leisure morning or evening always means some pitchers of water for the garden all the cottages on the hillside seem to have been built in the same way someone evidently hunted about for a few feet of land where it was slightly less sloping than the rest and within reach of a spring of water and this plot he levelled a bit by excavating the big boulders and smaller stones which make up our substratum and often the top stratum too then if the piece of land wasn't quite large enough he cut away part of the hill behind banking it up with some of the biggest of the boulders to keep it from tumbling down to the piece he had cleared next he excavated more rocky pieces from the up and down land around his clearing this gave him a bit of clean ground for a garden and also provided him with enough stone to build his habitation any stone he might have over he made into a wall around his plot by the simple process of piling one piece on top of another that apparently is all man does to the place then nature sets to work and oh what festoons of loveliness she flings over all as several different owners have had a hand at my particular cottage the garden has been extended in various directions but always requiring stone walls to prop it up hence you get a moderately level patch with a drop of four or six feet over the edge of the garden bed a few rough stone steps take you down to the next level where there is another bit of garden the steps themselves sprouting in every chink with wild strawberry primroses ferns columbines and a stray canterbury bell in this way the cottage is surrounded with steps going up or going down with a flower bed running along here a few feet lower down another terrace of flowers and some more steps nearly smothered with big periwinkle these are take you down to an absurd lawn that some enterprising person levelled up so delightfully on the tilt that neither chair nor table will remain where you place it if they roll far enough they go over the edge of the lawn to drop about twenty feet into the lower orchard nevertheless this lawn is popular 
because it is edged at one side with the white and pink mossed rose trees thus perhaps you can picture it big beds and little beds some running one way some spreading out in another direction sometimes large patches where flowers grow by the quarter acre sometimes little scraps and corners no bigger than a hearthrug where we managed to dig out some more stones and make a further bit of clearing but everywhere you go there are the big plateaus or little terraces supported by massive grey stone walls which vary from two to twenty feet in height according to the amount of hillside they are required to prop up and how these walls bloom ivy and moss and ferns seem to love them for all the local walls sprout ferns without any apparent provocation and the walls about this garden are no exception but in addition white arabis hangs over in cascades in the spring and you see then why the country people call it snow on the mountains and mingling with the white is the exquisite mauve variety wallflowers of lovely colouring rose pink deep purple pale primrose bright orange as well as the richly streaked brown and yellow flowers bloom gaily on the rocky ledges snapdragons flower later with nasturtiums and even some blue-eyed forget-me-nots have sown themselves up there and bloom with the rest honesty plants have established themselves in the crevices masses of wild herb robert have been allowed to remain and carpeting everything are all manner of sedums and alpine and ice plants some with grey-green foliage and ruby-coloured stems some with white flowers some with crimson and in the hottest places there are clumps of house leeks looking sturdy and homely certain weeks in the year the tops of some of the walls are a golden mass when the yellow stone crop is in bloom but whatever the season there is always something to look at something holding up a brave head and preaching as loudly as ever a plant can preach of the advantages of making the best of your surroundings does the wall face a sunless north very well out come the ferns and up creeps the ivy the rock stone crop with its blue-green stems and leaves looking almost like a huge moss fills every shady spot it can find seemingly appearing from nowhere is the wall sunny all right the wallflowers laugh at you pinks climb over the top edge just to see what is going on down below one baking spot supports a mass of sage about a yard and a half in diameter a smother of blue flowers in the summer no one planted it it just came a red ribus has hooked itself in at one spot what it lives on i don't know while white mauve and purple honesty seeds itself everywhere making a brave show of colour in the spring in fact white and mauve are the prevailing colours on the walls in april later on you may expect and will find anything for annuals and biannuals seed themselves continually dropping the seed to a lower level hence there is always a self-planted garden bed at the base of each wall reminiscent of what was growing above the season before on the shady side of one wall we have made a moss garden it was virginia's idea and she takes a very special pride in it adding new sorts whenever she finds them hence you will sometimes find her coming home from a ramble carrying a huge stone with her or lugging along a veritable boulder in this way she brings the moss home local habitation and all annexing any stone she sees a wild stone of course not a tame one from someone's garden wall that bears a promising crop of some new variety as a result she fairly bulges with pride whenever she exhibits the moss garden and explains how much of it is her own particular handiwork 
we have not yet settled whether she ought to pay me rent for my wall that she uses for her moss garden or i ought to pay her wages for moss gardening my wall one characteristic of this garden is an ever-changing show of colour it varies according to the season but whatever the time of year there are usually gorgeous splashes of colour that make you stand and wonder do not forget that this is only a cottage garden even though it is a roomy one i hope you are not picturing to yourself an orthodox country-house garden with expanses of well-kept lawns and proper-looking beds of geraniums and lordly pampas grass at intervals and well-groomed rose-bushes in tidy beds and correct herbaceous borders and beds of begonias and heliotropes planted out from the greenhouses and all the other nice-mannered polite flowers that every well-paid certificated gardener conscientiously insists on planting in exactly the same way all over the country this garden grows a little of everything and a great deal of some things and when you look at it you might easily imagine that everything had planted itself just where it pleased the garden is not tidy for the things are constantly growing over each other and then out across the paths moreover it lacks someone there all the time to keep it tidy the ministrations of the handyman are decidedly erratic but at least it is bright always bright and you can pick as many flowers as you please handfuls armfuls apronfuls with no fear of an autocratic gardener glaring at you and the flowers will never be missed in the spring wallflowers predominate every colour that the modern varieties produce ursula's remark that she had planted over nine hundred seedlings was well within the mark a thousand or two of wallflower seedlings do not go very far in this garden because at one time of the year the place appears to be a waving mass of wallflowers from end to end and have you any idea what the scent is like when you have a thousand of wallflowers smiling on a sunny spring morning but there are all sorts of oddments some things you do not expect and some things you do the cowslip bed is very pretty here are yellow orange copper-coloured and mahogany brown cowslips pale-coloured oxlips and polyanthuses in as many shades as the wallflowers from rosy red to dark purple brown with every petal edged with bright yellow as though they had been buttonholed round there is no need to cultivate primroses in the garden beds for the two orchards are thick with them where there are also large patches of white snowdrops with crowds of wild daffodils and dancing windflowers or wood anemones while tall spikes of the pale mauve-spotted orchises grow in the grass around the edge near the walls before the wallflowers have finished flowering the tulips are out the old-fashioned cottage tulips many of them tall and with large cup-like flowers pink and crimson brown and yellow showy parrots and delicate mauve feathered with white purple black deep maroon such a brilliant army those tulips make with hundreds of them in bloom at once before the tulip petals have fallen the peonies have opened out great heavy heads of flowers that can't keep upright the scarlet oriental poppies with their blue-black centres make masses of colour that have to be kept very much to themselves or they kill every other flower within reach these are therefore planted near the clumps of white irises and the deep blue and pure white perennial lupins that make a beautiful show all down one border speaking of lupins reminds me of the tree lupins virginia brought some harmless-looking little plants with her one year remembering my love for lupins 
these are tree lupins she said i'm sure i don't know what they will grow into but the man said they were just like lupins only much more so therefore i bought them don't blame me if they die she planted them comfortably and cosily in a bed along with white foxgloves and pink penstemons all the members of this happy family looking about the same size the following year when virginia visited the cottage she asked where are my tree lupins she was shown great bushes each the size of a round dining table and each holding aloft hundreds of yellow spikes and filling the air with a sense of a bean field there were the tree lupins all right but where were the foxgloves and penstemons perhaps you think there must be large dull spaces when the wallflowers cease blooming but in between the wallflower plants are others coming on and by the time the wallflowers have finished and are ready to be pulled up these beds are filling with sweet williams and snapdragons the young plants were there and they come into bloom as the wallflowers finish and then where only a short time before there were beds all purples and yellows and browns you now have reds and pinks and every shade of rosy tint that the bright eyes of the sweet williams can produce the snapdragons once played a joke on the garden i was ordering some seeds from sutton's and said i want some very hardy snapdragons that will stand being planted in the windiest part of the garden when nothing of any height will grow the seeds were guaranteed to grow in the most uprooting of hurricanes in due time the seedlings appeared above ground and ursula devoted several back-aching evenings to planting them out into the wind-swept beds by the middle of the following summer those jaunty snapdragons had each grown six feet high and there waving in that exposed place where any well-conducted plant would have sternly refused to grow more than a foot high was a plantation of great flowers each tied to a stout stake like hollyhocks and the blooms seemed to have outgrown their normal size just as the rest of the plants had done of course people came from ever so far to gaze at these snapdragons and unbelievers surreptitiously pulled out tape measures and two-foot rules and one and all after meditating seriously on the subject and looking at it from all points of view would finally shake their heads and say well i'll tell you just what it is the place evidently suits them we never got any further than that by every law and reason known to properly trained gardeners and horticulturists this garden ought to be able to produce nothing but low-growing flowers and shrubs every local resident kindly volunteered this information directly he or she set eyes on the cottage they said it was too high up too bleak in winter too exposed too dry too rocky or too glaringly sunny for anything above six inches high to have a chance in it and yet nature goes on laughing at the pessimists and so do those who tend this flower patch and the columbines yellow pink pale blue purple and white send up tall heads of flower the coreopsis plants grow so big and bushy they have to be staked the cornflowers a streak of blue at the end of the cabbage bed are taller than the broad beans of adjoining then there are the hollyhocks and the larkspurs these hold their heads as high as any one could desire and the tall red salvias are not far behind the foxgloves are also a brave sight though i do not include in this category those that are buried under the tree lupins of course there are low-growing things in the garden as well as the more lofty-minded there is one bed that is a ramping mass of giant mimulas of various colours convolvulus minor spreads about the ground in one of the white lily beds and eschultzias cover the earth 
for another row of lilies pansies rove about at their own sweet will in this garden and the old-fashioned white pinks and the pink variety spread themselves out over the big stones that edge the borders the mignonette bed has a row of lavenders at the side and mounds of nasturtiums grow where the earth is too rocky and barren to support anything else naturally there are hedges of sweet peas sometimes they are heavy with flowers sometimes the slugs or seeds settle the matter at the beginning of the season one hedge runs along at the back of the herb garden and the herbs have so spread themselves out that the sweet peas were getting swamped virginia has been cutting them back do you know what the scent of cut herbs is like on a hot summer day with sweet peas in the background in this herb garden there is sage with its lovely blue flowers lemon thyme silver thyme savoury hyssop lavender rosemary rue balm marjoram black peppermint spearmint and parsley in this bed also grows the old-time bergamot with its heavily scented leaves and lovely tufts of crimson flowers but though one part of the garden is set apart for herbs and another for vegetables you must not imagine that they are only to be found there fine clumps of parsley have planted themselves in among the annual larkspurs mint persists in running riot among the pink and white mallows but the mint family never remains quietly at home a sturdy scarlet runner comes up year after year beside a great bush of gum cistus which makes me think it might be treated as a perennial it seems impossible to get the artichokes to part company with the michaelmas daisies while raspberry canes shoot up among the old-fashioned red fuchsia bushes radishes are flourishing like the green bay tree underneath the sweetbriar a regiment of pickling onions is living on most neighbourly terms with a row of cup and saucer canterbury bells and as for the rhubarb well what can you expect when one man whom i employed for a brief spell remarked you'll see where i've put in that there special rhubarb miss because i've planted a traveller's joy atop of it to mark the spot cupid's border is another section of this garden that may interest you here you naturally find love in a mist and love lies bleeding the flowers which the country folks call love lockets dangle pink and white from their graceful curving stems alas in catalogues and places where they know this plant is merely regarded as dialytra in this border you of course find forget-me-nots that grow for happy lovers bachelor's buttons too hold up their heads in a very sprightly manner and please notice that they are getting nearer and nearer to the clump of sweet betsy but the bachelor's buttons have a rival for the other side of sweet betsy stands lad's love and though not so showy as the bachelor's buttons lad's love claims to be of more solid worth i leave them to settle the matter between themselves however i'm not one to interfere in such affairs at the other side of the border stands a maiden's blush rose and gallantly waving beside it is a clump of prince's feather sometimes referred to in common parlance as they laylock bushes at the edge of the border you naturally find heart's ease not the stiff overdeveloped article of modern flower shows but the old-fashioned sort all streaks and splashes of rich purple and yellow there is no time now to go round the vegetable garden not that this can be regarded as an entirely separate part of the estate for the vegetables have got mixed up in a terribly haphazard way with the rest of things as i hinted just now the potato plot for instance has a border of golden wallflowers all round and double daisies at the edge 
with a row of giant sunflowers, hollyhocks, and clumps of honesty at the back. This mixture is partly in the nature of a compromise. The gentleman who wields the spade has to be taken into account. No matter who he is, no matter how often he discharges me, and I have to beg yet someone else to oblige me, it is always the same. The tiller of the soil regards space given over to flowers as a grievous waste, not to say an indication of feeble-mindedness. Therefore he inserts a row of vegetables or seeds whenever I happen to have cleared out some flowering plants and left a morsel of space pro tem. It seems a prevailing idea among the more qualified working classes in rural districts that the cultivation of flowers ranks about on a level with doing the washing, work derogatory to a man and only fit for women. To the credit of the handyman, I must say that on one occasion he did kindly present me with a load of pig manure. He put it on the flower garden the day before we arrived, as a pleasant surprise, which it certainly was. Next day we all had relatives with broken legs, who needed our immediate return to town. Nevertheless, the vegetables play their part, and assume no small importance in due course, for it is another unwritten law of this cottage that visitors shall go out and select the day's vegetables, and cut them with the dew on. Of course, if they are superlatively lazy, they can meanly get some early riser to do it for them. Also, they can confer together, or each can gather her own choice. Hence you will see Virginia or Ursula in a large hat that is all brim, with basket on arm, and wearing an apron, not a lacy, frilly muslin thing, but a good-sized, well-made, old-fashioned lilac print apron, going up the garden and gathering broad beans, cutting young cauliflowers or curly greens, or turnip tops, or a marrow, forking up potatoes, pulling carrots, collecting lettuces, spring onions, cress, and other salading, all according to the season. And if it should chance that you have never yourself put on a big apron, and cut your own vegetables before the dew is off them, then Virginia will be truly sorry for you. There is plenty of time to be lazy, however, and a hot summer day means long leisure in this garden, for when the sun is high, the brown pitcher rests, though the brown teapot does not, until the fir trees throw shadows from the west. All day you can sit in the shade at the bottom of the garden, looking up the hill at the wonderful mass of colour before you. Along the ridge of the cottage roof, perches a row of swallows chirping and chattering in their usual way. The starlings who have built under the tiles are ordering their respective families to cease clamouring for more, explaining that hunting caterpillars is hot work. Most other birds are quiet when the sun is fiercest, but over all the garden there is the hum-hum of thousands of industrious bees, while literally hundreds of white butterflies keep up a perpetual flutter over the tall blue spikes of bloom in the lavender bushes. Even the small white dog with the brown ears ceases to tear about the garden, and bark at nothing in a consequential way. He just lies down on the edge of somebody's dress, and hangs out a little pink tongue for air. This is the time when the flower-patch among the hills spells rest. An old woman passing up the lane a few nights ago paused at the gate. "'How them pinnies do blow, miss,' she said, gazing admirably at a clump of peonies. Then she added, "'Ain't it strange now, that it do take a woman to make a flower-garden? A man ain't no good at that. He simply can't help hisself a run into vegetables.' But after thinking this over, and despite all that strong-minded womankind tells me to the contrary, 
I cannot really believe that there is such total depravity in the other sex. End of section 6